0: Welcome to the Sunday Morning Bible Study at Whitestone Christian Fellowship, taught by Pastor Bob Lorenz. We're located in the village of Victor, a little southeast of Rochester, New York. Pastor Bob teaches line by line and verse by verse from the Word of God. Now let's join this week's Sunday Morning Bible Study, already in progress.
1: Well, good morning again. If you're just joining us on the internet, we welcome you to the ten a m. service of Whitestone Christian Fellowship. We just had about a half an hour worth of wonderful worship, and uh, it's going on twenty to eleven at this point. But join us this morning. Uh, our reading today is in Luke chapter five verses one to three. and then we will we will tackle Ephesians six, the first twelve verses. And we may get a little bit further. We'll see how that goes. But, join me with, as soon as I get there, with Luke chapter 5, the first three verses. And it came to pass, as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by this lake. But the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the sh- land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. What a wonderful image this makes for us, and if and maybe it's because we're in we're in a, an area where there's a lot of lakes around us. Not only the Great Lakes to the north, but the uh, the Finger Lakes to the east and west of us. Uh, we're familiar with the fact that the voice carries over water. It's a, it's an incredible way of amplificate amplifying voices. It carries over water because it doesn't pierce the water necessarily. But it makes it easy to hear. If you're on the shore, you can hear people out in their boats. I'm sure most of us have been on the shoreline and we've heard the laughing and the giggling and we've heard some of the conversations that people in their boats are having. And Jesus took advantage of that opportunity. Those two boats were sitting idle and Simon's boat was one of them, Simon Peter. And He said, hey, cast out a little bit so that I can talk to all of the people. So that all of the people can hear. You know, when we're on the shoreline or when we're a ways away, we may be able to listen and hear voices. But we don't necessarily always understand what they're saying. But with Jesus being out on the water, His voice is amplified and the people will actually hear Him. And let's face it, they came, they followed Him for the purpose of hearing Him. And even the Pharisees at one point, I think it's in the book of Matthew, they said, We've never heard such gracious words before. And he wasn't teaching anything that wasn't already in the Torah or in our Old Testament. He wasn't teaching anything new. He was teaching the same things that the Pharisees and the priests and the scribes were teaching. But when Jesus taught, he taught with the authority of the author. He taught with the authority of the one who is known as the Word of God. He taught with the authority and the grace and the mercy. And even the heads of the Jewish temple, the heads of the faith, the heads of the local temple, anyone who heard Him were astounded that the same teachings could be applied and taught with grace and mercy. And that's the difference between listening to someone and listening to the author. The author will take you places in his vocal inflections that are not there just in a written word that is read and spoken. As we look at, as we look at Ephesians chapter 6, We find the same thing is true. There's a difference between being able to listen and actually being able to hear. Paul has been going through the teachings in Ephesus, facing the idolatrous society that Ephesus was, facing the hardships of criticism facing the hardships of just being on his own with just a few supporters with his ministry and just being true to teach God's Word. If you've become born again, you know how important God's Word has been to that change in your life. And Paul has been zeroing in on relationships, people outside the church, people within the church. Last week, he zeroed in on the relationship between husband and wife in chapter 5. And he continues to zero in on some, some of the most important parts of the message that he wants to share with the people at Ephesus If we don't think that this is appropriate today, we can certainly appreciate that it was appropriate in a society that worshipped a goddess, a goddess of fertility, Diana of the Ephesians. She had her own temple. Worship services were nothing more than an orgy. She was called the many-breasted one. And the statues of her are... They depict a woman with multiple breasts from her shoulders to, her, to below her abdomen. It was a grotesque figure. But that's the culture that they had grown up in. That's the culture where children were growing up and becoming indoctrinated towards. Now last week we ended in verse 32 of chapter 5, speaking of the marriage relationship. Paul says, for this, man, for this purpose shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So he makes the, the, the marriage relationship between a husband and a wife the same as the relationship that Christ has with His bride, the church. And he says, Nevertheless, let every one of you, in particular, so love his wife even as himself. And the wife, see that she reverence her husband. Now this is a key command at the end of that chapter. Because it indicates that it's not a reciprocal agreement. If you love me, I'll respect you. If you respect me, I'll love you. That's not what this is saying at all. And yet, that's the way a lot of couples interpret it. Jesus said, Let every one of you in particular love his wife even as himself and let the wife see that she reverence her husband those are individual commands a command to love towards the husband and a love and a command to respect is given to the wife but he's not finished he calls to the children and he says children Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. See, it's, it's a whole family situation. When the parents are on an even keel with God's teachings, with Jesus' teachings, then the next problem to face is what the children have seen and heard in the past. Have they heard arguing? Have they heard cross words? Have they seen violence in their home? There's an awful lot of children that see that these days. They see drunkenness. They see drug abuse. And knowing that there was drug abuse back at this time, first time that marijuana and hemp was introduced to us in the history books was 4,000 years ago. When Solomon tells us that there's nothing new under the sun, he means it. So the same temptations that we go through today are the very temptations that Ephesus was experiencing and had winked at over the years because the worship of Diana was all-important. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise. If you go through the commandments, you'll find them in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. This is the third time this commandment is being spoken of in the scriptures honor thy father and mother which is the first commandment with promise i went through the commandments in exodus and in deuteronomy and we come to a we come to a point and an understanding that god's love towards us is unconditional for God so loved the whole world that He gave His Son to us. He gave us a Redeemer. He gave us a Savior. He gave us His Son who would pay for our lives, our eternal lives, with His, with his life. But it's interesting that while His love towards us is unconditional, His blessings come with conditions. Jesus said, if you love Me, you will keep My commandments. And this is one of them. You can read this and check it out on your own if you want, but it says basically that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. If we honor our father and our mother, we will be gifted and blessed with long life on the earth or in the place where we were born. It's kind of a sad thing to think of the disrespect that goes on between family members these days. But it shouldn't be a surprise to us because God's Word has told us that in the end times, children will be disobedient to their parents. And they will lose the blessings that God has available to them from obedience. This section of the chapter is very much to be an extension of the last chapter because of the flow and the direction that it's taking us. From the head and the mother of the family to the children. Obey your parents. Honor thy father and thy mother. And we use that commandment with children to say, okay, you little kids, you're supposed to be obedient to mommy and daddy. But it's not just to children. I'm a child of my parents. I'm a child of my Heavenly Father, too. And I'm supposed to bring honor to their names. My family name. I should honor and be able to bring honor to my family name that my parents might be proud of what I do and how I've lived but I'm also supposed to honor thy, my heavenly Father as well. Even as an adult. <laughs> Maybe especially as an adult. It is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with thee and thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers... Provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. In Romans chapter 15, verse 14, Paul says to the church at Rome, he said, And I myself am also persuaded of you, my brethren, my brethren, believers, the people in the church that you also are full of goodness filled with the knowledge with filled with all knowledge and able also to admonish one another that's correction from our brothers and our sisters but it's done in a humble way so that we are not tempted to fall into the same sin that you're admonishing for You fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. It's interesting, we have another time that the word provoke is used in in the Scriptures. And it's with husbands and wives. Provoke one another to love and to good works. Know your partner. Know your beloved. Know your children well enough so that you know what gifts they have and what their abilities are, and you can encourage one another to do good and not to fall into wrath as being taught here. You fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Offer them correction with the same love that Jesus has for us and the same humility so that we fall not into the trap of sin, we're not to lord over lord our position over our children but we are supposed to be parents there's too many parents today that want to be best friends with their kids that doesn't help the situation i have people in my family that they were best friends with their kids The marriage, is, the marriage I'm thinking of is dissolved. We're supposed to be parents, leaders, guiding our children and admonishing them with love and with humility in the Lord. You know, and there's nothing more, more humbling than taking our children back into God's Word and admonishing them with the Word. That way you can still keep a loving relationship with them. And they'll understand that this is God's judgment that I'm reading and I'm hearing about. And if I'm not obedient to the commandments, then I'm not showing my love for Christ. And if I'm being disobedient... then the blessing of verse 3 is not going to be mine. That it may be well with thee and thou mayest live long on the earth. My life will be shortened. God will withhold the blessings of being on the land for a long time. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Servants, Be obedient to them that are your masters. Here's the rest of the household now. The servants. It was common for the servants to sometimes be called slaves. And there was a form of slavery that was temporary. It was based on seven years of work for the master as they paid off a debt. And at the end of seven years, they would be released to freedom. But if the Master was a good man, they could, they could commit the rest of their lives to Him because of His goodness, because of His kindness, because of His forgiveness of the debt, as well as His love for them. You can't live in a household and not develop a relationship with somebody. Now, we can also change this this word servant a little bit. We won't use the term slave, but we can use the term employee. Or we can acknowledge the employer. The master and the slave. The boss and the employee. It's the same relationship. It's a position of authority. One over the other. And it's a good way to provide a balance in the relationship. As, empl- as an employer, as a master, as the head of the house, you want to be able to show love. And you also want to be able to teach the person, teach the one that's serving you, In an employer-employee situation, it's called training. But it also means that we're to disciple them. And that's sometimes with the same word or same root word, discipline. It's the same thing that applies with children. There are godly ways to apply discipline and there are ungodly ways to apply discipline but if it's not taught with it's not if it's not performed if the discipline doesn't come with love and nurturing then it's not going to be a happy relationship the one being disciplined will be fearful to admit any mistakes in the future servants be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in a singleness of your heart as you would do unto Jesus if He were your boss, if He were your master. And if you're a believer, then He is your master. He is the head of your house. And you don't do it with eye service, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. This is the will of God is being described here. Being obedient. Honoring the chain of command within the family, within your business. Whether you're at the top of the business or you're the lowest employee in the company. Honoring that chain of command. And you might remember that a centurion named Jairus came to Jesus and said, my servant is is homesick. And Jesus said, oh, well, take me to him. And he said, no, 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 Lord. I'm not worthy that you should step foot in my house. You say the word, and my servant will be healed. This Roman centurion had that much understanding of Jesus' position in the Trinity. And he said, For I too am a man under authority, having under me a hundred men. He's the middle man in a chain of command. The soldier is. And he understood the work of the chain of command and how important it is to let the chain of command work. Let it perform what it's supposed to perform. I say to one, go here, and he goes. I say to another, come, and he comes. Say the word, and my soul, my servant will be healed. Lord, speak the word, and my soul will be healed. And the centurion went on his way. And when he got back to his home, his servant was well and back into serving in the household again in the position that he was in. Not with eye service as man-pleasers. Oh, I want to look busy. The boss is around. That's just eye service. Making yourself look good. And when we try to make ourselves look better than we really are, then it's a lie. We're trying to deceive someone else. Not with eye service as man pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with goodwill, doing service as to the Lord and not to men even though you're doing it to men, do it as though you're doing it for the Lord because this is His command. Don't think of yourself as serving men. Think of yourself as serving God. How, how much more important it is to serve Him and to be obedient to His commandments here that we are to honor our father and our mother, our first authority figure in our lives. In verse 8 he says, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he is bound or free, whether he's a slave or whether he's a free man, whether he's a servant, or whether he's the boss. Whether he's at the top of the heap in the company or at the bottom of the heap. It makes no difference. The same shall receive of the Lord, whether it be bond or free. And you masters. Okay, now he's, he's being respectful and addressing this to the, to the masters. The owners of slaves. The heads of the household the heads of the company, you masters, do the same thing unto them. Forbearing, threatening. Don't lord your position over them, over someone that's beneath you, someone that you're an employee. Forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there any respect of persons with him. See, Jesus doesn't care if you're the head of the household or you're the smallest ch- children. He doesn't care if you're the boss of a huge company or you're the lowest employee. He doesn't care if you're the husband or the wife. He asks the same thing of all of us because He wants to bless us. But the blessings are the reward of obedience. The blessings are the reward of the of obedience paul is not missing a single thing in the culture from the highest to the least from the richest to the poorest from the proud to the humble he's addressing all of it how we treat others is how, how we are going to be measured up against the Lord's treatment towards us. In verse 10, he says, Finally, my brethren, again speaking to the church, offering admonishment and correction, offering instruction in holiness to them finally my brethren be strong in the lord and in the power of his might how can i be strong in the power of his might i'm just a weak human being i can look to jesus i can use him as my strong tower my a tower that i can lean on as it tells us in the psalms pillar of strength be strong in the Lord don't be strong in your own power because human power is limited God's power is endless without limit put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You don't read this very often here, the wiles of the devil, but you may remember the story of the road runners and the coyote. Wily coyote was he was called in in the cartoons as we were growing up, even into our teens. And the roadrunner was always running away from him. But the coyote was relentless. And that's the way the devil is with us. He is relentless in trying to trip us up, trying to kill us, trying to murder us, trying to discredit us, trying to harm us in every way that he possibly could. That is a description of the devil. Look for the way to escape. The roadrunner had speed. You may need to flee as fast as you can from temptations. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's not a human that we're wrestling against. If it's not human, who is it? It's someone from the spiritual realm. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. You may remember in some of our more recent, in the last six months, our studies, it spoke of principalities and powers. The legions of angels, and in particular, the legions of fallen angels that the devil has rule over to cause us to be tempted. The demons of hell we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities against powers against chains of command from the dark side of the spirit realm Satan is the head of all of them and they do his bidding all these demons they do his bidding Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand. Now, he said that we can stand against the the rulers of these darkness. Take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the day of evil, and having done all, to stand. If you can't run away from the temptations, then take a stand. Take a stand. I recall the the newsreels during the Vietnam War that our army sometimes had to take a stand and stand on one certain hill in Vietnam because that hill was a demarcation for the front line. This is where the enemy would, would attack next because the person with the high ground has the advantage and the hills in vietnam for the us army and marine corps they were numbered on a map and the colonels and the generals would would look at what their next move should be to take a stand and to hold the hill in friendly territory. Stand, therefore. In verse 11, he's got the word stand there. In verse 13, he's got the word withstand and then to stand. And then in 14, he says stand again. This is an important concept to God that we take the stand to righteousness rather than to complacency and sin. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. Your loins, the lower part of your body, your guts. It's a vulnerable part of our bodies when it comes to warfare. But if we're going to take a stand then we have to understand something else. Years ago, I read that there are cell structures within our intestines that resemble the cell structures in parts of our memory and parts of our brain. So when you get a gut feeling, it's the similar thing. You're getting knowledge you're getting a check in the Spirit. You're getting encouragement. It's something that you can feel. Your stomach doesn't turn and get tossed by it, by it or else it does as a warning. So when we have these gut feelings, sometimes that is the Spirit working within us. Have your loins girt about with truth. Who's the truth? Jesus is the truth. Don't accept any other truths other than what the truths that Jesus gives us. Wrap your loins with truth. Wrap your loins with Jesus. When He says... Have your loins girt about. There's a, that word girt. It's where we get the word girdle. A big wide belt. It's a belt of protection for us. Jesus is a protection for a vulnerable area in our bodies. Have your loins girt about with truth. And having on the breastplate of righteousness... The breastplate of righteousness. Outward appearance. It's an outward shell. If we looked at a Roman soldier, we would understand that the breastplate is the protection for our vital organs. For our lungs. For our heart. For our liver. All of the things that help us to live. Put on that breastplate of righteousness so that the most vulnerable and critical of our organs are protected. Don't involve yourself with unrighteousness and have that on your outward appearance so the people recognize when they see you that there's a righteous person because you're not into the unrighteousness. Your reputation will go before you. It'll be the first thing that they hear And it will be the first thing that they see as well. It'll be the first thing that the enemy sees also. This one's well prepared. I'm never going to get him. But he's going to try. Because he's wily. He has wiles that he uses. Years ago back in the 20s they used to call they used to call a, a loose woman someone who had wiles they had a way to get to you a way to get to you to get what they wanted watch out for those things and have your feet shod or shooed your, your foot coverings, have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Wherever you go, wherever your feet take you, are you prepared to share the gospel with someone? Are you prepared to tell Satan to get behind you? Are you prepared to encourage someone who's hurting and having a difficult time, maybe going through a difficult part of their lives. Have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Prepare yourself. Become familiar with God's word and the, the gospels, the promises, the miracles, the healings that take place in the gospels. Jesus asks us to share our faith with others. And wherever your feet take you, make sure they're prepared. Make sure that they're protected. Shod with the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, The fiery darts of the wicked are some of his wiles, the ways he gets to us, the temptations he knows that we ourselves are vulnerable to. That shield of faith. I don't belong to you, Satan. You're not getting to me. And a shield is that part of a a soldier's armor that is mobile, movable. It's on his arm. And he can move it here. He can move it over here. He can move it behind his back. And it quenches all the fiery darts that get thrown our way. Faith is a huge piece of armor because of its versatility when we're under attack. And take the helmet of salvation the helmet is that piece of a soldier's armor, his headpiece. It covers his, covers his mind, His brain. covers His ears. And if it's a full armored headpiece, then it covers His face, His eyes, and His mouth. All vulnerable parts to deception. We can be deceived in our sight. We can be deceived in our hearing. We can be deceived in our own speech. Put on that helmet of salvation. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, put on the sword of the Spirit. That's your single offensive weapon a sword from the Holy Spirit. And it is that two-edged sword that cuts both ways. And it divides asunder between the soul and the spirit. It is the most powerful thing that we have. It is the only thing that we have for an offensive weapon. All of our armor that we're wearing, the full armor of God, that's protective. That's defensive. Our only tool to fight back is the Word of God. Do you know it well enough that when you're under attack, you can use it? Do you know it well enough? Have you studied it? Do you read it yourself at home or are you only hearing it when someone reads it to you or teaches you about it during church? God's Word, all of it, from Genesis to Revelation is for our benefit because we can learn things about God in there within the Bible's pages We can learn things about Jesus Christ. We can learn about the role of the Holy Spirit. We can learn about the battles that the Israelites fought. We can read about the persecutions that the Christians endured. And yet they had that full helmet of salvation. Knowing that even if they were killed, they would be instantly in the presence of the Lord. So as Christians, we're in a win-win situation. We've got the armor of God, the full armor of God for protection over our bodies. But for the sword of the Spirit, that's the offensive weapon for the benefit of those that it's used against that they might see the strength of the Lord in us. And that they might be encouraged. That they might, they might see just a normal, weak human being that they cannot dominate over. And if we have all of these things, yes, Satan has the ability to kill our bodies. But he doesn't have the ability to take away our eternal life. We are sealed. We are assured. And we don't have to doubt and wonder about God's plan for us. And he says as we as we close here today, in verse 18, he says, praying always, here's the sword of the the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit. The Word of God praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. Praying for yourselves and praying for others that are going through the same battles. Fighting the same common enemy, Satan himself and all his hordes. That's H-O-R-D-S. It's important. The Word of God is a tool for us to use. It is life against death. Everybody is familiar with John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him, the Word of God, should not perish, but have everlasting life. God's Word changes us from death to life. That we should not perish, but that we might have everlasting life because of the Word of God. And that was the Word that became flesh and dwelt among us. It's an incredible miracle that God performed taking His own Word and transforming it into a human that was born of a woman for our benefit. He did that for you and He did that for me. He did that for His church. He did that for the faithful. He did that And wants to do more for those that truly love Him. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this morning's message. It becomes very pertinent to us when we understand that God's Word addresses every relationship that we are in. Whether it's husbands and wives, among friends, our employer-employee situation, our servant and master situation. God doesn't miss a single thing. And even, even in the book of Philemon, a slave owner and a slave that had run away, they're being reconciled through God's Word. Lord, we love You and we ask that You continue that reconciliatory work that you are performing in us. In the book of Revelation, it speaks of how you will reconcile all things back to yourself. Lord, we look forward to that day when all of your creation will be reconciled back to you. Be glorified, Lord, and help us live it out and help us be moving and growing and loving that direction that You have us in. All power and honor and glory, Lord, belong to You. In Jesus' name, Amen. From Psalm 67, verses 1 and 2, God, be merciful to us and bless us, and cause His face to shine upon us, that Thy way may be known upon earth and thy saving health among all nations. God bless you. Have a wonderful, wonderful week in the Lord. Go back through this this section here again because you're going out into the world, back home, back to work, back among friends and family. And for many, it's an unbelieving world. That you're going back into. It is your mission field. It is your mission field. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Be blessed with the day. Still cold up here. I don't know. the, The weatherman said that western New York got a whole bunch of snow dumped on it this past couple of days. They were wrong. The roads are still clear, still safe to drive. It's cold, but it's a refreshing cold. God bless you. Have a great week. Have a great day. And walk with a king today. In Jesus' name.
0: Thank you for listening to the Sunday Morning Bible Study at Whitestone Christian Fellowship, taught by Pastor Bob Lorenz. To access the list of teachings or to check the archives for Pastor Bob's weekly observations call. Log on to WhitestoneCF.com. There you can also check the weekly schedule and any upcoming events. To contact us or to drop a note to Pastor Bob, you can email us at WhitestoneCF at gmail.com or call us at 585 924 8820. Whitestone Christian Fellowship is a non denominational congregation. Every Sunday, Pastor Bob walks us through the Bible teaching line upon line and verse by verse. And we're located in the village of Victor, a little southeast of Rochester, New York. And if you're in the area, we invite you to visit us. From upstate New York, Pastor Bob encourages all of us to immerse ourselves in the Word of God. Until next time, remember that Jesus is our Victor. Stay close to Him.